Do you have questions about life and faith and God that remain unanswered? Do you feel like the Christian cliches are shallow and don't really get to the truth? Is this whole Christian thing rather uncertain for you? And, and does that uncertainty exclude you from true spirituality? My name is Skip Collins, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to explore concepts of life and faith and the Bible and Christianity. We'll challenge our traditional views and ideas, which at times will probably make us a little uncomfortable, but hopefully we'll come out on the other side more connected to our faith, to God, and to what we believe. So let's jump in to deeply spiritual, but rather uncertain. So last week, I turned 65 years old. I remember when 50 was old, 65 was ancient. But here I am. People have asked me if it feels any different. And the answer is no, not really. It feels pretty much the same as it did a few days ago when I was 64. Um, but it does feel a lot different than when I was 50 that's for sure. But now that I'm seriously over the hill, I feel like I get to talk about things that, quite frankly, I've been afraid to talk about up to now, but things that I've been wrestling with for quite a long time. I really have no career left to blow up, so I don't have much to lose, frankly. And if you think I'm really off base, then you can just say, oh, shame, he's so old. So for the next few weeks, I want to talk about the Bible. It's been an important book in my life for many, many years. When I was in junior high school, I was part of a Youth for Christ Bible quiz team. Now, you have to be really old to know what that is, but here's how it worked. You take a passage out of the Bible that was given to you by the quiz masters, and you would study the heck out of it all week long. Then on Saturday morning, we would all gather at the Youth for Christ office. And each school that YFC worked with had a team that would compete in this Bible quiz. The quiz master would start by saying, question. And then he would launch into something like, who did Luke name as the recipient of the book of Acts? So any good quizzer would know that the answer was Theophilus. In fact, you probably knew the answer by the time the, the quiz master got to the word recipient. And if you did, you would jump off your seat. And if you were the first one standing, you would get to answer the question. YFC had designed this very elaborate electronic system. Now, remember, this was back in the 1960s, but they had these electronic pads on each chair. And then a light would come on that would recognize the first person to get their butt off the chair. Now, if you jump before the question was finished, the quiz master would stop, and then you would have to finish the question and then give the answer. If you couldn't finish the question, then the other team would get to hear the entire question and have a chance to answer it. So when you jumped up, you really needed to be very 
sure. The quiz season would go for an entire term, and then there would be knockout rounds and finals, kind of the Super Bowl of quizzing. I remember in junior high, our West Chicago junior high quiz team was in the finals. If I remember right, we were going against Wheaton Central, and Dan Walgamuth, who is now the president of YFC, was on the Wheaton Central quiz team. Anyway, it came down to the wire. The last question, I was so amped and so ready. The quiz master said, question. It was the cue to get your butt off the chair just enough so that the light didn't come on, but one quick thrust and your weight would come up and it would trigger the lights. And so the quiz master says, question. And I was ready. What? And I jumped. On what? Skip Collins, finish the question. How do you finish a question when all you have is what? Needless to say, I couldn't finish the question. The other team heard the whole question. They answered it. It was an easy question. And we lost. One of my many epic failures in life. And as you can see, I still actually haven't gotten over it. Okay. I told you that elaborate story, probably way too long, but but just to say that I've read and studied and memorized the Bible for my entire life. It has been, and it still is, incredibly important and significant. But with that said, it's also a very confusing book at times. It contradicts itself, it's hard to understand, and it seems like I can make it say anything I want it to say. And if you don't believe that, just look at how many Christian denominations there are in this world. Estimates are between 20 and 40,000, and they all claim to be Bible-based. Now, that figure doesn't freak me out at all. We are all different people, and we're all wired differently, and so we're looking for different things. But what it does tell me is that God didn't inspire this book to be the blueprints for our churches and denominations. If he did, again, he did a lousy job because it's just not that clear. The Bible has been used to justify war and slavery and the subjection of women. It has been used to justify oppressive regimes like apartheid here in South Africa or the slave trade in America and England and around the world. It has been interpreted and twisted into all kinds of unrecognizable ideologies, not the least of which is white supremacy. One of my huge influences, Peter N. says it this way, the problem is not the Bible. The problem is what we expect from the Bible. So I want to explore that a little bit. What do we expect from the Bible? For years, I expected the Bible to be without any errors. We use the word inerrant. I expected there to be no contradiction that couldn't be easily explained. I mean, certainly if God inspired the book, it would certainly have all the science and history exactly right. I expected that if the Bible said something happened, then it actually happened. 
I remember the first time I came into contact with the idea that the creation story in Genesis might not have been a literal seven days. I was shocked. I mean, if God didn't mean a day, then why did he say a day? Then I heard that the stories, the creation stories of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are two completely different stories of creation, and they actually contradict each other a little bit. And then I started hearing people debating about whether the story of Genesis actually happened. It's like, no, this is too much. My brain is going to explode because the Bible has to be inerrant. The Bible has to be perfect, doesn't it? See, here's what I heard, and and this is what I believed, is that if there was one mistake in the Bible, then I can't trust anything. One mistake, and I have to throw the whole thing out. So no wonder we defended the Bible so zealously. So I've been preaching from the Bible for a lot of years. And if you heard me back in the day, you may have heard me defending this idea of inerrancy and say something like, if the Bible isn't inerrant, then people can just pick and choose whatever they want to believe. And that is actually true. But what I've realized is that we do that all the time anyway. For example, we pick passages about abundance and blessing, and we ignore the passages of sacrifice and suffering and caring for the poor. Or we ignore the passages about the importance of caring for our bodies, and we choose rather to eat poorly and sit on the couch and watch TV. See, calling the Bible inerrant doesn't ensure that we don't pick and choose what we want to believe and what we want to obey. We just spin it into our own inerrant version of the truth. Or here's another thing you may have heard me say. If the Bible is inerrant, then there is no truth. All truth becomes relative. It becomes whatever I want it to be. And we have to have absolute truth. Well, I agree with that. But but what if... Just bear with me for a second. What if we're looking for absolute truth in the wrong place? What if God never meant the Bible to be absolute truth? So then you may say, so where do we find absolute truth then in this world? Maybe we see truth in Jesus, and particularly in Jesus on the cross. Maybe that one place in all the universe is where we see absolute truth. I remember one time, quite a number of years ago now, I went on a 24-hour silent retreat at a Catholic retreat center. In the evening, I went into this chapel and I knelt there and they had a very large crucifix on the wall. Now, as Protestants, we were told that we don't use the crucifix because Jesus is risen. He's not on the cross and that's true. But as I looked upon that crucifix for a very long time that evening, 
I felt like I had been robbed of some of the beauty that I was seeing for the first time in that image. Maybe I was so inspired because I was looking upon absolute truth. Absolute truth in human form. So here's the question. Does the Bible have to be inerrant to be true? Does it have to be without error for us to find truth? I don't think so. At least I'm certainly not hung up on that like I used to be. And all that takes me to my next point. I always thought that the Bible was the foundation of Christianity. No Bible, no Christianity. But what if that isn't true? What if the Bible is not the foundation of Christianity? Could Christianity even exist without the Bible? Well, often we have heard stories of countries where the Bible has been outlawed and yet Christianity thrives without the Bible. Oh, there may be a few contraband pages floating around here and there, but they certainly don't have the Bible as we know it, and yet Christianity continues to thrive. Even the church, the early church, didn't have the canon that we have today. The canon that we consider is the foundation of our faith. The Bible as we know it only came into existence around 400 AD, and yet the church thrived. They had some of the Old Testament scriptures and maybe some letters of Paul's that were circulating, but that wasn't the foundation of their faith. It wasn't because of that that they were willing to be fed to the lions. Andy Stanley says it this way. I love it. He says, it's not the Bible that is the foundation of our faith. It's the event that inspired the Bible. The death and the resurrection of Jesus, that is the foundation of our faith. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that inspired Matthew and Mark and Luke and John to write the Gospels. It was the living Jesus coming to Paul on the road to Damascus that inspired Paul to write letters to the church in Corinth and Rome and Philippi and so many other places. He wasn't thinking, we need a foundation for this new thing that we are starting. The foundation was already there. It was Christ crucified, in Paul's words. That is the foundation of our faith. So many people have rejected Christianity because they think the foundation of Christianity is the Bible, and they have problems with the Bible, so they walk away from the whole thing. They might say something like, if I have to believe that a fish swallowed some guy and then the guy wasn't digested for three days and then he got spit out on the shore somewhere, if I got to believe that, then I am out. Or if I have to believe in a literal six-day creation and completely ignore all the scientific evidence around evolution, then I can't have anything to do with your Jesus. I heard a fantastic story that I share all the time. It was on the Liturgist podcast 
which is absolutely fantastic, by the way. Go and take a listen. And I say that knowing that I might lose you because it's so good, you might listen to them instead of me. But go listen anyway, it's worth it. One of the hosts of the show is Michael Gungor. If I remember right, he was telling the story of his wife, Lisa, reading one of the Bible stories to their young daughter. The daughter asked the question, Mommy, did this really happen? To which her mom replied, It doesn't matter because it's true. Let that sink in a minute. It doesn't matter if it happened because it's true. Can something not have actually happened and yet still be true? Of course. Jesus told stories, told parables all the times, stories that didn't actually happen. Or did they? Well, it doesn't matter because they're true. Or you could say that they are truth. We get so hung up on whether something actually happened or not, we can miss the truth. We spend all our time arguing creation versus evolution, and we miss the truth, the beauty that we find in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. My friends, the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's not to say that the Bible isn't important. That's not to say that we just throw it out. But if we expect it to be the foundation of our faith, it will fall way short. Another thing I always expected was for the Bible to answer all of my questions about life. It's like the instruction manual for Christians. I remember as a kid, they used to tell us that Bible, B-I-B-L-E, was an acronym for basic instructions before leaving earth. I'm sorry, but if it's meant to be an instruction manual, it is not a very good one. I've got an instruction manual for my car, and it's really good. If I need to know how much air to put in my tires, it tells me exactly. If I need to know how to change the fuse that runs my turn signal, I can see where to find it. I can see what kind of a fuse it takes. But if I want to know from the Bible how much time I should spend at work in relation to how much time I should spend with my wife, I will look a long time to find that answer. I'm sure not going to go to King David on advice for that one. And the Apostle Paul's advice is don't get married in the first place because women take up too much of your time. Or or if I want to know how long I should pray in the morning to be prayed up for the day, the only advice is pray without ceasing. That's not very helpful. I think you get it. It's not a good instruction manual, but it never intended to be. Okay, so if the Bible is not perfect, if the Bible is not the foundation of our faith or an instruction manual, then what is it? Is it even really important? The Bible is a collection of stories and poems 
and letters written over a thousand year span of time by different writers with different personalities in different cultural settings for very different reasons. I love the way that Pete N. says it. God let his children tell the story. But even in that, there are themes that continue to come through, themes like grace and justice and redemption. In a few weeks, we're going to look at some of those themes that we see in the Bible. I'm really looking forward to that. But these stories and poems and letters serve as a guide for our own spiritual journey. You may remember in one of the early episodes, I spoke about the fact that the goal is to know God. I take this book incredibly seriously because with all its inconsistencies and contradictions and problems, it can still serve as a guide as I seek to know God. When I let go of the idea that the Bible is inerrant, when I let go of the idea that it's a rule book or an owner's manual, when I let go of the idea that the Bible is the foundation of my faith and I embraced it as a guide for my own spiritual journey to know God, then I feel like I've been able to embrace it in new and exciting ways. And for me, that has changed the whole game. But it leaves us with a couple more big questions. What about authority? I mean, you may have heard this phrase, the authority of Scripture. It's the idea that the Bible has authority in how I live my life. Is that true? The other question has to do with inspiration. Is the Bible inspired? And if so, what does that really mean? And if the Bible is just our guidebook on the spiritual journey, can it be inspired or authoritative? Well, we're out of time now, but we will try and tackle those questions next week. If this is helpful, like always, please tell your friends, family about it, or in whatever app you're listening to, rate it or you know make a comment. If you have questions, drop me a note in any of the social media platforms where you can find me, well, at least on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm there. All the appropriate links are on my website at skipcollins.com. I hope you have a great week wherever you are in this world. Shalom. Shalom.